This episode is brought to you by the Rockefeller Foundation. The Rockefeller Foundation is a pioneering philanthropy built on collaborative partnerships at the frontiers of science, technology, and innovation in order to enable individuals, families, and communities to flourish. The foundation works to promote the well-being of humanity and make opportunity universal. Its focus is on scaling renewable energy for all, stimulating economic mobility, and ensuring equitable access to healthy and nutritious food. Through its good food strategy, the Rockefeller Foundation seeks to improve the diets of 500 million people through an equitable and regenerative food system by 2030. To achieve this, the foundation is working with people and organizations across the globe to bolster science and data, support policy change, and leverage existing funding in order to increase the availability and accessibility of food that's good for people and planet. To learn more about the Rockefeller Foundation's work, follow them on Twitter or visit rockefellerfoundation.org. We the chefs, we the chefs, are working together to create a better food future. I am George, Andy, Tom from Nigeria, Switzerland, Los Angeles, London, India, New Zealand. Ingredients are medicine. Ingredients are superpowers. Food is joy. Food is love. Food is is life. life. A very warm welcome back to the Chef's Manifesto podcast mini-season in collaboration with the Rockefeller Foundation. It is my pleasure to host this third episode in the season, after the first two led by fellow chef Anahita Dondi. My name is eco-chef Tom Hunt, culinary artist, presenter and author of Eating for Pleasure, People and Planet. In this episode, we want to do a deep dive into the topic of climate-friendly, healthy food choices, together with a chef who many of you know already. Douglas McMaster is joining me to talk about his own cooking journey, about all things sustainability, and how to support the transformation of food systems as chefs around the world. Douglas McMaster, who was born and raised in the northern English town of Sheffield, won a BBC competition at the age of 21 and was named Great Britain's Best Young Chef. In 2010, he opened a zero-waste pop-up cafe in Sydney, Australia. Two years later, he started his first zero-waste restaurant in Melbourne after returning to his home country. Then, the 26-year-old founded Silo in Brighton in 2014, now relocated in London. Douglas is also the author of The Zero Waste Blueprint, a food system for the future. Chef Douglas, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. Such a pleasure. So to dive straight in, I'd be really curious to learn more about how you first got into chefing and what led you to become a pioneer in zero waste cuisine. It was a childhood that you might not expect me to tell you about um, in that it wasn't some uh, lovely, innovative culinary journey through childhood, as one might imagine, uh, a chef that goes on this sort of path to a zero waste restaurant. Um, I was actually raised in a, a working class northern uh, small kind of community and went to a really bad school with terrible food. The sort of resistance of what I, I had as a child 
world, which gave birth to what Silo is now. The industrial processed food, the educational system, both those factors as a child and a young adult formed who I am today, but not in a, you know, I want to serve turkey Twizzlers on the menu, but instead I don't want to serve turkey Twizzlers on the menu. It was born out of this kind of despair with that food system and with that educational system that I've forged a, a kind of a direction of, of my own path, my own life, my own food system. So that was sort of how it started. I, I dropped out of school because I, I really didn't do well. I'm a uh, classic neurodivergent. I have dyslexia and ADHD and probably all of the other neurodivergent qualities and wasn't ever recognised at school. It was just my own recognition later in life that uh, has concluded um, the previous statement. Yeah, I dropped out of school and I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't, didn't really know where I was going, but I ended up in a kitchen washing dishes and then doing some basic preparation and um, I don't know what it was about a kitchen but I, I loved it I think I loved that it wasn't school more than I loved the kitchen the sort of pirate ship I'm not sure Tom if you saw kitchens in the same way when you were starting but I sort of felt like it was a pirate ship the kind of lawlessness but this sort of expressive kind of creative freedom that chefs have just even in the way they walk and talk and act and it just reminded me of this sort of pirate ship environment um and then i fell in love with kitchens before cooking and then later fell in love with cooking when i moved into the higher echelons of gastronomy into you know the michelin star kind of kitchens and i went into the world of fine dining which i love and hate at the same time but it was a world that i felt welcome in and again i think that's what i was looking for i was looking for my place in the world and that's sort of again what's forged the path forged the direction but then I just always resisted authority. I always had a problem with it. I always had a problem with being told what to do and the way these systems made me feel. Um, and I wanted to rebel, not for the sake of irreverence, but for the sake of fulfillment. I subconsciously, maybe, was yearning for something which made me feel alive, made me stimulated creatively and artistically and uh, I found that in kitchens but the kitchens that I would work in were aggressive sometimes violent uh, you know I would never had a social life I worked all hours of the week and got paid very little and got treated very badly and so whilst I loved cooking and being in kitchens it, it was this double-edged sword and I wanted to create my own version, my own system. And so at the age of 26, started Silo. And the zero waste aspect was largely inspired by my mentor. But that's how I got to Silo, was the resistance to what I hated. Like a rebellion almost. It sounds very inspiring. And for those listeners that haven't heard of Silo, I mean, much of the world has now because it's such an incredible pioneering restaurant. Can you just describe Silo in a nutshell? That's very kind of you, Tom. I appreciate that. Silo is a zero waste restaurant, uh, which means that we don't have a bin. 
uh, say that with a kind of an asterisk above it. We do actually have a bin. We have a compost bin. We have a recycling glass bin. But the the mission, I guess you could call it, is to have no bin. So what zero waste means, uh, again, for those that haven't read up on this, but essentially, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, Tom, here, but essentially zero waste in a more philosophical sense is nature. Nature is a zero waste system. Zero waste is, I guess, a good bit of terminology uh, around how we humans integrate with nature. Now, some people might not see the term zero waste as that, but I do. I see uh, a jungle as zero waste. I see, you know, these natural ecosystems as zero waste. I see humans not zero waste. You know, we humans have created waste. That's our design. We've brought it into the world. It didn't exist before us. The bin literally did not exist before humans. And I see that as our responsibility to design it back out of the world. So this kind of voyage this journey or pilgrimage to not have a bin is how I sort of define silo. We're not there yet, but um, we've made some pretty good ground in the 10 years, uh, which is what it's been now since we started in Melbourne in 2012 as a pop-up concept. Later in Brighton in 2014, um, that was when I took the idea for my own from this, uh, I'm sure we'll have a chance to speak about Yoast, this uh, mentor of mine who started it in Melbourne. And then more recently, uh, a couple of years ago, we moved the whole restaurant from Brighton to London. So today's episode is all about climate-friendly, healthy food choices. So you've started telling us about your zero-waste philosophy. I was just wanted to know really how you think it fits within these themes that we're discussing today. Zero-waste to me is the ultimate system. Call it zero-waste, call it sustainability, you know, call it planet-conscious cooking. These are all different words um, that say the same thing, which say, like, let's not the world any more than we have, you know? And zero waste to me is, uh, yeah, just my language, my rhetoric around being kind of planet conscious, a healthy relationship with nature. I think what would be interesting to chat a little bit about is how zero waste can actually improve food choices in terms of their nutrition and health. Do you have any thoughts on that? That's a great question. Um, and absolutely. The big belief that I possess and that the further we move away from nature, and again, I'm sorry, I have this tendency to say things quite profound or esoteric, but maybe it's the neurodivergent uh, in me. But I see humans and nature and divergence that we've had in the last 200 years. And I put this down to industrialism, industrialism being a scalable system in which we've scaled food systems in a way that's designed for our own prosperity. And this, whilst it seems benign, it's uh, unfortunately had great negative impact on the, the natural world. The unique thing about us humans is that the thing that separates us from every other species on Earth is that we have uh, abstract thoughts, whereas other animals think of food, sex, food, sex, food, sex. We think food, sex, art, art representing abstract thoughts. And one of the theories here is a wonderful philosopher, Paul Stamets, who's like a mushroom genius. Anyone that's interested in mycelium and fungus should look up Paul Stamets. 
And he believes that, uh, that humans developed this kind of abstraction from nature, which is exactly what we were doing. We're abstracting from nature through the use of psilocybin or magic mushrooms as hunter-gatherers. It's a plausible theory that this is why we gained this abstract thought. Anyway, listen aside, what we've done with these abstractions and some brilliant things, you know, some amazing pieces of art, some great films, some great music. These are all abstractions from what nature does. We don't have these rock and roll bands in nature. It's, it's a very human thing. We've sent people to the moon and created incredible like healthcare. And there's all these wonderful things with these, these thoughts that we've had as humans. But there's also a lot of designs that are less than, than ideal. The, the awareness we do or don't have regarding natural resources and how we use those natural resources and the, the impact that we've had on the planet is a, a real devastating blow. And this has all happened in the last 200 years, the waste or industrialism. You know, since the industrial revolutions, we've scaled up our food systems and within that has brought great harm to the planet and to the resources. And basically we're getting further and further away from what's natural, what nature had designed or intended for us to do. And to return to your question, this, we're moving away from what's healthy. And what I believe is that a return to nature, and I think that this could be done, you know, it doesn't need to take another 200 years, this could happen in mere decades, is this appreciation of that we are nature, or we are healthy as part of nature. So to eat naturally. Industrialism, and I'm talking now about supermarkets, fast food, processing, preservatives, you know, processed dead food, essentially. Industrialism and strips the nature from food because if food is alive, it's not scalable. You can't keep it in a packet for, for three weeks or three months or three years uh, because it's alive and it will denature. So industrialism literally kills food. You know, this processing that we refer to nonchalantly is killing food. It's taking the bacteria and the life out of food. Now, I believe that we need to eat food that's alive. We are alive and we're on a planet which is alive. It's really that simple. And so a zero waste system would be one in which a regenerative farm, ideally, or, or wild food comes from nature alive and we do as little as we can or we maintain that kind of living culture by fermenting food and just serving it really from farm to table in a very short space of time so that food is as alive as possible. And I believe that that sort of diet, you could call it an agrarian diet even, and that sort of diet, we're eating food that's alive. And that's the most important thing we can do for our health. And I think although your idea is kind of radical, in some ways they align with the sustainable development goals because really there's this drive towards minimally processed whole food plant-rich diets that's coming from the top down from this organization that in some ways completely aligns with this idea of our need to return to nature. Just changing tack, I think it would be good if you could if you could tell us really if you think individual food choices matter within our food system and how as chefs we can influence such choices to drive sustainable development. 
everything we do, every choice we have is really important. The way I would like to propose this is that every purchase that we have within food, let's just say, we're voting for the future that we want to see. So if you go to McDonald's or KFC or Burger King, you're voting for processed fast food to exist in the future. Uh, whereas if you go to the farmer's market, uh, again, multiple good options I could select here, but let's just say a farmer's market for argument's sake, that is voting for farm to table, for independent uh, agricultural foods to exist in the future. And that is a, an oversimplification, but it is true. It is absolutely true. And I think that a choice counts, every individual choice counts. And the more we vote for uh, farmers markets or the more we vote for plastic vegetables that aren't wrapped in plastic versus vegetables that are wrapped in plastic or the less we will see plastic uh, you know there are thousands of examples I could reel off here but that our choices count uh, everyone's choices can it's just a huge tally it's kind of global tally of votes for the future that we want to see or eat in this case yeah you've made some practical examples there I'd agree with you and the chef's manifesto I'm sure would agree with you that individual food choices matter especially when we're talking about chefs because of course our impacts multiplied by the number of mouths that we're feeding so where should chefs and home cooks start when it comes to making these climate friendly food choices to kind of build on uh, the last sort of suggestion these individual choices really do matter to really put your values forward so should this be the independent chef's value to care about nature and the environment and uh, you want to do something about it start by supporting people that want to change the world regenerative farming to support a regenerative farm like we work very proudly with flourish farm and we're shrub provisions who work with a kind of network of biodynamic farms just by putting your money into those systems those farming systems that is such a powerful decision that chefs can make like it cannot be underestimated how valuable that is for the future working directly and i've learned this the hard way in the last decade is quite tricky um, but there's wonderful initiatives popping up like shrub provisions i mentioned two guys who basically drive to like a network of biodynamic farms and they kind of do all the logistics um so but it's still kind of farm to table because it's coming from the farm to the restaurant in the same day it's picked or the day after so just support the right people that's so powerful and beyond that Composting, it's really easy. Well, I don't want to say it's easy because people in different parts of the world might uh, disagree with that. And uh, you know, I'm sure that might be the case in a lot of locations or geographies. But composting is really important. But it is relatively easy, you know, to look up people that are composting food waste in your area. The more local, the better. And to, you know, make sure that food is not wasted. It is becoming food for soil. That's a really, really easy one. I feel like people already know all of this this sort of thing and apologies if this 
these suggestions are quite mundane or basic. You know, there's more fun ones like just refuse. The first R of the zero waste triangle is is five R's of the zero waste. Refuse, uh, reuse, um, recycle and rot. And I forgot, I think I missed one there. Um, but refuse being the first thing and refusing things that are wrong. Refuse plastic. I think refusing to use cling film is something that I love. See lots of restaurants on Instagram holding out a roll of cling film saying, this is the last roll of cling film. It's great. So yeah, cut out single-use plastic. That's something a little bit harder than, than you know, composting uh, or, or supporting good farmers. So yeah, cutting that out could go into micro detail of a lot of different things. But I think that they're the, for the basics, the best places to start are like cut out plastic, compost food waste and champion good agriculture. A lot of chefs might argue that they have difficult profit margins to maintain and they just can't afford this produce. What would your advice be to them? So imagine a dashboard with all these sort of knobs and levers. And when you say spend more money on premium vegetables, then you sort of one knob or one dashboard like just twiddles one way. You need to find balance in that input output, in that sort of financial, you need to find balance. You need to offset it. Silo actually operates with record low food costs. So there's a number of things here to mention. When you work directly, despite it being a slightly more premium vegetable farm, it's actually cheaper because you're not paying the so-called middleman, not necessarily. So food is generally cheaper in direct trade, buying in bulk. There's lots of different reasons, actually, why our food costs are so remarkably low. And I'm talking like 8% low, like really, really like record-breaking low. Um, There's a number of things I could say, but actually the biggest one that I'd like to point out is (laughs) when you don't waste food, you don't waste money. So if we have a £1,000, say, in a week on vegetables and we throw... 50% of that away, we're throwing £500 away, you know, even if it's composting. (laughs) To maximise those resources is to minimise profit loss. So you can offset buying premium stuff, which is going to taste better and do better for the future with just not wasting things. And then you'll say, oh, well, you know, what does that change? And, you know, there's all these other complications. And yes, there is. And there is this kind of ultimate balance that you need to find within that economic system of your restaurant. Uh, Ten years ago, there was an article or somebody said somewhere that silo will fail and they were like going into the nanoscale production costs, which is kind of what we're talking about, rather than a sort of more uh, industrial scale or micro scale food production and saying, you know, if you're going to churn butter for 50 people, the staff costs are going to go through the roof because of the cost of a wage to churn that butter. Whereas if you buy it already as butter, you know, yes, it's marginally more expensive, but then the staff costs will save you money. Now, it said in this article, like, silo will fail. And that was uh, struck fear in my heart. (laughs) And thankfully, I found balance in this dashboard, this system, just by finding ways of balancing that economic structure. So other examples, such as instead of having... 20 dishes on your menu have 10 that will offset the labor costs instead of having five garnishes on your plate or five elements on your plate have three i can promise you this is at no loss of quality because 
people actually prefer more minimal food. And I've put this to the test for a long time and, and simplicity is golden. There is always balance to be found within these systems. And it is just about finding what balance is best for your system, your kitchen, your, your menu, your supply chain. It's just finding and offsetting that balance. But it is absolutely uh, possible. I've done it. Silo's not made me, you know, I've not got a Tesla or a Ferrari yet, <laughs> but it does make money. It is profitable. It can be a really wonderful, financially prosperous uh, food system. As you know, the Chef's Manifesto has eight thematic areas which are based on the Sustainable Development Goals. We've heard about your amazing zero-waste cooking and approach, but please could you elaborate further how these closed-loop and circular systems fit within the bigger picture and link to the SDGs? This uh, zero-waste system, regardless of if it looks like silo or not, is absolutely the future of food. So closed loop, as we've discussed just previously, closing the loop on materials can be financially lucrative. Closing the loop on materials is environmentally prosperous or ethical or the right decision. You know, wasting things doesn't make sense. Wasting things, uh, not a non-closed loop. I referred to this industrialism before. Industrialism is a linear system from nature, essentially everything comes from nature. And that thing, whether it's food or a material, is processed to serve a purpose. And then that thing, when it's used, dies. And so you've got this linear cradle to grave system. Now, a closed loop is what's called cradle to cradle. So there are multiple examples of this, but composting is just a really good go-to one. So if a material lives, um, like food or, or even cardboard or wood chip or something, like it comes from a tree or from nature, these things live, uh, you eat them or you use them like wood or whatever. And then when that's done, you know, in some inevitable food waste, like eggshells, you know, not everything will be consumed from food. That is then a material that can be reborn as something that nature intended. In not all cases, that's the same, such as um, certain materials that we've processed in the world. But just to give that, finish that example, like that food then becomes food for soil. And that is a closed loop system. And that is one that doesn't damage the environment. Um, whereas an industrial linear system takes from nature and then it, it expires as this dead resource in which we've taken energy, nature, resources away and nothing has been reinvested. Whereas a closed loop system reinvests in the nature that feeds us. And so that gives us a future. So this zero waste system is this closed loop and that is the future of food it has to be if we don't acknowledge that there will be a very infertile future and i use infertile as a word 
cautiously but decisively because I say infertile in many different ways, but namely the soil. We've, we've already destroyed a fifth of the world's fertile soil and, you know, without fertile soil, <laughs> we're really going to struggle. We're really going to struggle for a lot of things, you know, sequestering carbon via trees, growing food. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a real sort of uh, important balance to be found within, you know, our integration with nature and, and zero waste is that solution. And just to mention some of the sustainable development goals that what you're talking about obviously links to. Number two, zero hunger, which is us, the Sustainable Development Goal 2 initiative, the Chef's Manifesto, good health and well-being we've already spoken about, even gender equality, um, affordable and clean energy, obviously, because it's not just about the food, it's about how we're powering our restaurants decent work and economic growth it, it hits so many of the goals life below water climate action life on land peace justice and strong institutions i mean it's it really taps into everything doesn't it my kind of language around this just is the way it is and i'm glad you can interpret we're talking about the same thing uh, just in a different rhetoric different vocabulary yeah yeah no it's inspiring to hear your thoughts on it for sure so we're slowly emerging from the pandemic where huge vulnerabilities of our food system were exposed and we're now facing another food crisis on a global scale caused by the war in Ukraine. Whilst wanting to remain sensitive about these catastrophes, I'd be keen to know if you think these events have opened up opportunities for change. Absolutely. I think that both examples given has suggested on a kind of national level, uh, being England, uh, the UK, and I'm sure all over the world, that it would be smart to localize our food systems. Uh, our food systems are industrialized, you know, foods coming from all around the world and we should have more of a robust localized food system. That's not to say that we're not ever going to taste a pineapple again, but to ensure that we have a sustainable food system in a more localized, be it the, the country, you know, even closer, like in the sort of neighboring areas, but these food systems, we're going to need to, and we're going to we're going to really benefit from localizing our food systems. And so that's what I haven't necessarily seen yet, but, you know, it's inevitable. You can't switch on a farm overnight. But <laughs> from the last two years, I think that and I hope that it really creates and really facilitates the localized food revolution. I really hope that that's what's about to happen, urged forward by these kind of global events. Well, it's a pivotal moment, isn't it? I think you're right. I think public awareness and professional awareness around the importance of these local food systems and a more kind of sustainable approach to the way we operate as restaurants is happening amongst all of these huge, massive issues of the climate crisis, poverty, hunger, gender inequality, conflict, and of course, the economic downturns. But in the face of these now amplified challenges, how do you think we should move forward? I think we should move forward, my gut saying, with more awareness. I think that 
awareness is such a crucial thing. You can say education and it's a similar similar vein, I, I guess. But being aware uh, collectively is such a powerful motivator, guide to the future. I think that good, honest, open communication will broaden and help create the awareness that we we inevitably need you know if we're not aware of what's going on in the world we can't move forward in a good way and having the right perspective via these good channels of awareness is is absolutely the first port of call the first moment of inception towards yeah a greater future okay so awareness is what needs to happen how can we as chefs help increase this awareness that we all need there's micro and macro examples but the impact it makes one chef teaching two chefs good responsible climate friendly practices uh, all of the above that we spoke about in this podcast you know that's a, a micro level piece of awareness uh, making young chefs aware of better ways of doing things i would argue that this <laughs> new generation the gen z's are much more aware than our generation tom on a micro level just that person to person open communication around always always be willing to be wrong that is a bit of a tangent but it's so crucial as a human quality to be willing to be wrong if we're not willing to be wrong, if we have this dogmatic, egotistical approach to what we do and how we fail, then we're not going to learn from our mistakes and grind in a negative direction. But anyway, I think it's really important to be wrong and to, to accept that uh, mistake with grace, to not necessarily rush and try and revolutionise the whole world's food system on our own via Instagram or whatever. The impact that we can individually make on um, other individuals' lives with love and compassion and that knowledge from our mistakes can be highly instructive to the future generations of chefs in the kitchen. So yeah, it's just giving a and uh, caring and being compassionate and taking the time to really educate the younger chefs in our kitchens is a really good way forward. So now we're coming to the end of our conversation. I'd love to know if you have any last words of wisdom and maybe even a go-to climate-friendly recipe you'd like to share with our audience? Well, in terms of a recipe, I, I've got a couple of dishes, which I actually ate at Silo last night. It's been a while since I've eaten there, and a couple of dishes that really stood out. And again, a dish is like a leaf on a tree. The, the tree, the trunk being the system, you could argue, the roots being the farm, uh, the branches being the service, um, and the dishes being the, the leaves. There's not one leaf more important than than another. And the thing that I like what we try and do at Silo is the whole menu is connected. Nature is, everything's connected. But this unconscious thing that's happened on our menu is like we churn butter and that yields buttermilk. We then ferment that into a garum, which goes on the sauce on the main course on the lion's main mushroom and koji dish. But then the solids from fermenting that wasted buttermilk, we have this process of uh, fermentation. The solids we then blend with tapioca and dry and then fry. And then we have incredibly delicious quavers, basically. For those that aren't from the UK, a quaver is like an aerated crisp. Very delicious. And one of the snacks that we, we, 
we put some sea buckthorn jam and like goat's cheese, frozen grated goat's cheese into this beautiful cloud. But it sat atop this quaver, which is made from the waste, from the waste, from the waste. It's like three layers of waste that have been reprocessed onto the menu. And you've got the, the physical buttermilk itself on the lion's mane mushroom dish later in the menu. And you've got the butter itself at the beginning of the menu. And there is this interconnection. And it's the same for so many different examples. But I was eating the quaver last night thinking, bloody hell, this is delicious. And thinking, wow, this is the third stage of a byproduct and this is the favorite dish on the menu so that's just an example of what we serve at silo but um i like that one and that was particularly delicious last night amazing and i can vouch for that because i've tried it too and it was yeah remarkably tasty chef douglas mcmaster thanks for joining us on the chef's manifesto podcast it's been a pleasure as always Thank you so much for, for giving me the opportunity to, uh, yeah, to talk about what, what we do. And um, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, keep up the amazing work that you, you're all doing. Thanks so much. And that's all for today and for this mini season. I've been your host, eco-chef Tom Hunt. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. Please subscribe to our channels, rate and comment below. Your feedback is invaluable to us and your participation really helps boost our reach. We want to talk to and engage with as many chefs as we can around the world to talk about sustainability and strengthen our global movement of chefs at the forefront of change. Thanks for listening. There are eight thematic areas. Ingredients grown with respect to the earth. Friendly to oceans. Protection of biodiversity. And improved animal welfare. Investment in livelihoods. Value natural resources. And reduced waste. Waste is recyclable. Waste is unnecessary. Waste is criminal. Celebration of local and seasonal food. A focus on plant-based ingredients. Education on food safety. And healthy diets. Nutritious food that is accessible, accessible and affordable to all. Chefs. Politicians. Suppliers. Farmers. Educators. Chefs together can change the world. Get involved. Get involved. Get involved. Get involved. <laughs>